Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 93 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Susan Actimel. Susan Actimel is Director of Homes for Good Scotland, CRC, and Homes for Good Investments Limited. An experienced property developer, she has combined these skills with her commitment to improving people's lives to create Scotland's first social enterprise letting agency and social landlord in the private rented sector. From 1994 to 2012, she created and grew Impact Arts, now a leading Scottish charity. Since 2014, she has raised over £12 million in social investment for Homes for Good and was named Social Enterprise of the Year in 2016 in the Scottish Business and Social Enterprise Scotland Awards. Last year, she received an honorary doctorate from University of Strathclyde Business School for achievements in social enterprise. Susan is also a committee member of the Blockan Housing Cooperative and a mentor for the Young Foundation a board and investment committee member of SIS Ventures and a member of the Cash Knowledge Exchange Hub. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Susan's broad insights into social entrepreneurship and social investment. We'll get Susan's thoughts and perspective on social enterprise opportunities, and we'll hear what Susan believes can be done to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Susan, thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. So to kick things off, Susan, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise sector? I think I started working in social enterprise before social enterprise was a thing. Mm. Uh, I've been around quite a long time now. And what happened for me was that when I graduated, I had quite a lot of choice of different employment options that I could go down. um, And... It was my work in the early 90s in uh, deprived parts of Glasgow where I ended up, because of my language uh, teaching uh, experience and qualifications, I ended up working with people um, who couldn't read and write their own names and addresses Mm. in one of the deprived parts of the city. And that made me take the decision that I was going to focus my professional time on helping people change their lives. So um, that was where it started for me, getting involved in social change, if you like. And then at the same time, I was really keen to create a business of some sort. And when I came up with the idea of Impact Arts, I was able to marry the idea of being a a business, being an entrepreneur, but also making a difference socially. Now, that would have been in 1993, 94. And that was really before anyone was talking about social enterprise. Mm. So effectively, what happened for me was that probably about 10 years later, people started to call Impact Arts a social enterprise. So I'm quite proud that we were there almost before everybody else. 
Yeah, fantastic. You've done certainly a lot since launching Impact Arts. I mean, in a recent interview with Jerry Higgins, Jerry described Homes for Good, the organization you've founded as the first social enterprise letting agency that treats people with dignity. And he spoke of the service you provide, which is light years away from service people get from private landlords. So can you please tell us more about your journey with Homes for Good and how you operate? Of course, of course. Well, I suppose the first thing is that um, we are the first letting agency to operate as a social enterprise. Um, I think there is one other in Scotland and there are some that are that are, that are emerging across the UK. Mm. But the, the reason that Homes for Good exists is that I am and was an unhappy landlord who was working with other letting agencies. So alongside the work that I did on a day-to-day -day impact arts, I was also a private landlord and I saw firsthand the, the, the impact of bad service in the letting agency world and the impact it had on tenants and on landlords. So when I decided that I wanted to do something new, I decided that I was going to create the letting agency that I wanted to see. Mm. And it, why not do that as a social enterprise because that's the only way to do business in my view. So that was really where the letting agency came from. And then the other side of it was that once I started getting really properly involved in this, I could see that there was such a lack of decent housing for people on low incomes. And so I then decided that I would create my own supply of housing. And that was when I started on the journey of raising money to buy property and renovate it and let and then rent it to people on low incomes. Mm. That's really where the whole idea came from and, and essentially what we're what we're now doing today. You've done a really impressive job of, of raising the finance, that's for sure. And I mean, getting these recent awards would have been a great recognition of, I imagine, very hard work you've been putting into it to making this a reality. You're one of the speakers at this year's Social Enterprise World Forum in Edinburgh, Susan. And with the World Forum celebrating its 10th anniversary, what do you think have been the key factors that have created this thriving social enterprise environment in Scotland? Well... There are a whole number of different things, and I suppose in no particular order, the first thing is that Scotland is a small country. So there's, what, six million of us? What that means is that, that you can access who you need to access very quickly. The networks are good. You've got, because we've got devolved government, we have access to politicians. It's different from maybe working in a part of England with a similar size of population. Hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, it could be that somewhere like the West Midlands or, you know, the London area or Greater Manchester area um, have a, has a similar size of population, but is part of a much bigger infrastructure. So it's harder to make things happen or to create relationships. So I think the size of the country is, is an important thing. The government gets social enterprise. And I think, you know, we've been through two or three different uh, governments now in Scotland you know, we had a Labour majority and we've then gone into a period of, of, you know, the SNP leading the government. And each time the commitment to social enterprise has strengthened. So when government gets behind something and then puts the resources in place and talks about it, that's when things can start to happen. So, so over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years, there has been this brilliant ecosystem for social enterprise that has been created in Scotland, where if you have an idea and you need £2,000, there's an organisation that can help you. 
right through to if you need to raise seven-figure investment. There's an organisation that can help you and lots of different organisations in between. So the whole idea of government getting behind it and then putting its money and its time and commitment where its mouth is has really helped. And I think I also have to say that I think Jerry and the work that he's done at CEIS and the Social Enterprise World Forum essentially was born in Scotland and has grown and grown and has put us on the international stage, I think is the best place to, to, to do social enterprise in the world. So it's an absolute credit to the hard work that Jerry and his team have done over the last decade to get us where we are now. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a really thriving ecosystem, that's for sure. So yeah. what do you find to be some of the biggest challenges then in working in the social enterprise sector in the UK and how have you worked around them? So the first thing I would say is that I don't, I don't see myself as working in the social enterprise sector. So although you know, we're part of it, we support social enterprise as a concept, I work in property, I work in the property industry. The social enterprise sector isn't a thing. The sectors are all the different types of businesses that operate. And I don't see any challenges in being part of the social enterprise movement at all. Mm. What's quite interesting when people ask me about challenges, I always struggle to answer that one because I just work my way through challenges so then they don't stick in my mind because I just find a way of getting around them and, Mm. and keep going. The one challenge I would say, though, that has been consistent for me, uh, and this is a personal view, um, both in my time at Impact Arts and now um, in Homes for Good, is that when you're running a business that where social change is involved, that inevitably involves interaction with the public sector in some shape or form. And that is always the challenge. And it's either the speed that they work at the speed that they have to work at because of the way that government works. It's not a criticism of individuals, but the speed and the the lack of ability to change easily. So when you're entrepreneurial and you want things to happen fast and you see the need and you know that you can provide solutions, having to work at the tempo and work within the constraints of the public sector is, is the biggest challenge that I personally find hugely frustrating and it definitely holds us back. Mm, it's a really, really interesting experience there. So when it comes to successfully getting finance as a social entrepreneur, you've had quite a bit of luck yourself. So what are the top three recommendations you'd make to help organisations on their journey? Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word luck because I absolutely subscribe to whoever came up with the quote, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> absolutely. There's no luck involved in, in securing social investment in my view. I think the first thing I would say, and and I, I say this in the context of now supporting startup social entrepreneurs through mentoring. I've got two people that I mentor just now, and I see this time and time again. They don't understand their finance. They don't understand their business model well enough. So the first thing when somebody has an idea is they need to think, who is going to pay for this? Mm. How much are they going to pay for it? And how much is it going to cost me to deliver it? And then... Put all of that into an Excel spreadsheet. And that is the the bit that consistently I see that entrepreneurs haven't thought that bit through properly or they've not managed to get the the guidance to do that. So, you know, once that is all there, the next stage is understanding whether you're going to generate this income through sales to either business or to consumers or whether you do need grants. and and, And if you are thinking about taking on social investment, 
the thing that has to be at the front of your mind is how are you going to pay that investment back? So it can't be a fairy story of a business plan where you know you worry about paying it back in three years' time. You have to at the beginning you have to be confident that you have a business model that can pay investment back. I suppose the second thing I would say around that is if your idea really doesn't stack up, put it to one side. Don't press on with an idea that you really love and you believe in, but everybody is telling you that there isn't a market for it or they don't want to fund it. That's one of the things that I think um, causes a lot of stress and an emotional heartache for social entrepreneurs when they believe in something and, um, and struggle to let it go. I think also when it comes to talking to investors and grant funders, there's a lot of homework to be done. So um, particularly with investors, they are different animals from us and they speak a different language mm -hmm. and you have to learn the language. That was um, the biggest learning curve I had when I started Homes for Good because I entered into a world of uh, shareholders and equity and mezzanine finance and all sorts of different things that I didn't understand and I had to work really hard to get on their wavelength and and that's the, the successful entrepreneurs that I see who have secured investment have all done the same. Susan, earlier you spoke of this adaptive mindset being one of the important attributes of social entrepreneurs. So are there any other particular attributes you see as absolutely essential for social entrepreneurs? Yes, but I think that also there are, um, but I think that actually they apply to entrepreneurs in general. So the first thing is that you have to have a really good business head. You, you have to be clear on how to run a business. You have to, if you don't know how to run a business, you have to learn how to run a business. And also be very clear on how you change lives, what your social impact is. And the trick for a social entrepreneur is that you have to juggle both. Both have to be in sync. You can't have all of the social change and none of the business model. And you can't have all of the business model with no social change. You mm -hmm. have to be able to balance both. I would say that's the number one attribute. The second thing I would say is around resilience. Nobody owes you a living. Nobody asked you to set up your social enterprise. You have to come up with your idea, make your arguments for it. If people say no to you, think about it and dust yourself off and get back up and try again. Resilience is one of the key things, and particularly if you're going down the road of trying to get investment because it's quite a, a tough world. And I think the third attribute um, that I see in all of the successful social entrepreneurs that I know and that I aspire to be like are that they, they focus on the day job. They don't get caught up in the hype of talking about being a social entrepreneur and going to lots of openings and doing lots of talks and lots of things. They work really, really hard at the day job. And that's what, in, a, in, in essence, enables them to, to deliver. Mm -hmm. It's some fantastic advice there, Susan. So how might organisations then best create a positive work environment of collaboration where everyone contributes their best? Well, I suppose, you know, creating an environment of collaboration, I suppose there are, there are you know, first of all, looking at collaboration within your team and how, and how you grow a, you know, a team internally within the business. And what I would say is that, you know, as the leader of an organisation, it's your job organizations don't create their own environment organizations don't have values it's people 
who have values mm -hmm. and that generally will start with the leader. So understanding what the values are and then bringing people into your team that share them really increases the chances of people getting on and working together well. Yeah, yeah. The second thing I would suggest is that you work carefully to have the right people in the right jobs. We do quite a lot of work now around analysing people's strengths. We do that when we recruit people to make sure that the job that we need them to do is the job that they are best able to do mm -hmm. because that then again increases the chances of there being harmony and everybody being successful. I think that in terms of working with external partners and collaborating with clients and, and customers and other partners, I think you have to be really open and clear when somebody is a competitor where they do the same thing. Yeah. And it's quite difficult to collaborate with competitors unless there are different geographies involved. There needs to be something that makes a good reason for both of you to come together. Mm -hmm. um, it's much easier when you've got partners. So we've created some brilliant partnerships in the last couple of years with organisations in Scotland. And it's because we do one thing and they do a different thing, but we both need each other. Yeah. And that, that works really well. And then falling out from that, you need to have partners who, who share your values as well, so like minds. So there might be somebody who looks brilliant on paper, but if, if the leaders of those organisations haven't instilled the same values as you, if you don't see eye to eye, it's, it's going to be difficult. So I think it's around understanding your business, being positive, leading with values, and, just, and, and, the, and I think if you do all of that, the right people and the right ingredients gravitate towards each other. Mm. So are there a couple of local social enterprises then that you believe have created that that great culture and that you find particularly inspiring and, and how are they addressing community challenges? Well I think that it's, it's quite interesting when, when I'm asked this question because I am so focused on the day-to-day -day in Homes for Good that I don't get much of an opportunity to actually engage mm. with everything else that's going on. Yep. Um, but there are a whole new generation of social enterprises coming out in Scotland and it's predominantly younger people that are, that are leading them. They're coming out of university or you know, they're, they're looking at the world and saying, I, I think I've got a business that can help change the world. And so there's, there's a couple that I've come across in the last couple of months that I think are absolutely worth mentioning. Um, the first one is the Glad Cafe. This is a place that I went to for the first time on Monday night, and it's a venue. It's a it's a it's a venue in the south side of the city, a sort of bar cafe venue, in a in a fairly central um, part of one of the suburbs, and I just was struck by the perfect mix when I walked through the door. There was a mix of it feeling a bit bohemian. Mm. There was I was overwhelmed with the positive atmosphere and the kindness that came out from everybody that I interacted with in, in terms of the staff. It felt like you were walking into somebody's living room. Mm -hmm. The people that were customers there all looked quite comfortable and quite welcoming to anyone new coming in. The food was great. It was reasonably priced. It was just a great night. And th that I was really inspired by that because I'm quite sceptical about social enterprise cafes and things like that, but I was really blown away mm. by what happened there. The second one is an organisation called Real Talk, led by a wonderful young woman, Lily Ash. And Real Talk is all around storytelling about mental health. 
So it's about about increasing uh, the awareness and reducing stigma around what mental health means and what mental illness means, but also supporting people who have gone through mental illness to build their confidence and their skills in talking about their experiences. And it's a really beautiful combination of creativity and events and really life-changing interaction with other human beings. And I'm very, very happy to work with Lily and help her grow the organisation in the way that she can. And then the third one, which I just love the idea of and I'm hoping to, to volunteer with if I can, given my languages background, is Lingo Flamingo, uh-huh. which is taking language classes into care homes and into groups of older people who are um, in various stages of dementia. So it's just taking new language and all of the joy that comes around language and learning about other cultures into a setting where you wouldn't expect it to be. And it's a fabulous, fabulous business. So these are all very different, very unusual ideas that just say to me there's a new generation of people coming up with endless innovation and just constantly saying, there's a social challenge, how can we make it better? Mm, there's a few really inspiring examples there. Thanks for providing those. So to finish up then, Susan, could you please recommend a few great books for our listeners? Well, this was the question that was the hardest because I, I don't read anything hardly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had to, you know, really, and it, and it made me think about, I, I don't spend enough time on myself. Um, I studied literature when I was at university, so I, I used to read literally about 40 books a year in different languages. Um, so I had to think hard about this, but the books that stick in my mind or the reading that sticks in my mind, and particularly in the context of um, being, a, being an entrepreneur, first of all is the first book about innocent smoothies. And that book is all about the culture, how the organization was born, how it came from nothing, and it bootstrapped, and then the culture and the values and the way that that organization is. now. Innocent Smoothies obviously went on to, I think, to sell to Coca-Cola and maybe things have changed. But for me, they are an absolutely brilliant example of the way that you can be informal and friendly and sometimes irreverent, Mm -hmm. but have a brilliant business. So Mm -hmm. I would recommend anyone who's not read the first book about Innocent Smoothies to read that. And then I think what I would say is when I do read books, they tend to be autobiographies, actually. And I think it's autobiographies of people that I'm interested in as leaders or as entrepreneurs. So I've read Richard Branson's books, you know, all of the dragons on the BBC Dragon's Den. I've read all of their autobiographies. Mm-hmm. I've read, um, you know, biographies and autobiographies of world leaders. And there's just something about understanding what makes other people who you, who you perceive to be successful or interesting, understanding the experiences they've had and what makes them tick. Mm. And then I suppose the third area that I would say, um, you know, the, the internet is an amazing thing and we just get bombarded with information. And one of the things that I do regularly is I read, so it's not so much books, but it's articles from organisations like Entrepreneur, or Inc, or Harvard Business Review, or Forbes, they put out weekly and daily articles that are unbelievably useful around all sorts of aspects of being in business and about social impact. And so 
is maybe not reading a book at a time, but just getting a, a you know a daily dose of those sorts of articles is I find really inspiring and helpful for me. Yeah, most certainly. Well, I'll stick a link to all of those at the bottom of the article, Susan. So thanks for providing those. But Susan, you've provided so much fantastic inspiration and we really appreciate you sharing your time and your valuable experience today. And we'll look forward to seeing you at the Social Enterprise World Forum in Edinburgh later in the year. Great. Thanks for asking me to to be involved in this and I'm really looking forward to September as well. I'll see everybody then. Thanks to you, Susan. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.